Topic of our Dhamma talk this Saturday evening is uh, you know, the mindful contemplation of uh, the body, Kaya Nupasana Satipatthana, in the Pani scriptural language. And Satna, this talk uh, will you know, connect back uh, to, uh, to you know, talks from the you know, previous Satna or the first seven day period of our retreat, namely those two talks on the synopsis of the instructions given in the Satipatthana Sutta, part one and two. And so we've looked at those very the gist of the instructions and we've explained what it means to be ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful and then having put away covetousness and desire, covetousness and discontent for the world. Now, today we shall take a closer look at this mindful contemplation of the body and in particular its various purposes and then we shall take a closer look at one particular form namely the contemplation of postures. Now there are six parts to the mindful contemplation of the body as outlined in the Satipatthana Sutta. And as number one, we have mindfulness of breathing. And then as number two, we have mindfulness of bodily postures. Then clear comprehension of activities. Then, and, and this covers certain activities such as no, no, well, um, moving or walking, walking ahead, walking backwards, and then turning, bending, and then wearing one's clothes, and then things like eating, drinking, and even moving one's balls, etc., etc. And then we also have contemplation of the parts of the body, such as the head hair, the body hair, the teeth, the nails, and so on. Then the contemplation of the four elements. And finally, as number six, cemetery contemplations. And among these six, which ones do you think we practice or are being practiced in the Mahasi tradition mostly? The three, the four elements? Yes, contemplation of the four elements is correct. What else? Breathing. In particular, when we observe the rising and falling. Well, well, well. Does anyone have a second opinion? <laughs> yes, Buckley. Yes, right. So, um, it's uh, no, that one may easily think that the contemplation of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen comes under 
you know, the, you know, the contemplation of breathing, when in fact, you know, the venerable Masi Sado you know, explained to her that this is not the case, you know, but rather you know, the rising movement of the abdomen and falling movement of the abdomen involves the wind element. It has to do with motion, with movement, and you know, thus it comes under you know, one of the four you know, great you know, elements. Now, um, in the Mahasi tradition, um, have you ever heard of, uh, um, and have you heard me you know, give any instructions on the cemetery contemplations? Okay, now let's uh, let's all you know, go and do it you know, this. Go go over to the you know, Barry Cemetery <laughs> and spend the night there. So you know, this is uh, you know, this kind of. Uh, or this aspect of uh, the contemplation of the body uh, is not being promoted that much. And uh, you know, then, any, any other forms you know, that are being practiced? What about the, yes, certainly, Peter? Yes, a walking meditation, yes, it comes under well comprehension of activities or bodily postures. And um, then, uh, what about uh, the contemplation of the parts of the body? Have you heard any instruction of uh, you know, being mindful of uh, you know, the head hair and then the body hair and uh, your teeth and so on? Not necessarily. So, we can now say that in the Mahasi tradition of Satipatthana meditation, we practice mostly mindfulness of bodily postures, then clear comprehension of activities, and then contemplation of the four elements. And so this mindful contemplation of the body is, well, one of the four contemplations and not the one and not the only one. And when you look at the four contemplations, namely contemplation of the body, feelings, the mind, and then dhammas, do you notice, do you recognize any particular pattern behind these four? What's the, the arrangement is according to what? Just random or yes, Peter? It follows the kandas. So yes, okay, that would be a way of putting it. Another yes, Buckley. Yes, okay, very good. That is correct. And so, bodily objects in general are seen. And not just you know, theoretically, but really practically, you know, to be mm, much coarser than, for instance, certain consciousness um, and certain then also dhammas. And so we have uh, a grand. You know, the you know, four contemplations are arranged you know, by way of increasing refinement of you know, the objects. Now. Sometimes the confusion is there as to 
in which order we need to practice these four contemplations. So since they're given in the order first, uh, contemplation of the body, then of feelings, then of the mind, and uh, then of uh, dhammas, does, uh, does this really mean we have to practice them in this order? So let's say in the first five days of the retreat we spend on our time on just doing kaya nupasna and then maybe another five days on vedna nupasna, etc. Is this implied here? Not. Quite correct. And actually within one and the same sitting, all four of these certain contemplations might certainly come up. And so let us give an example, namely you start observing the rising and falling movement of the abdomen and then you notice tension in the rising movement, you notice a release of tension in the falling movement and then gradually as you observe the tension it becomes more and more intense and then it turns, the tension turns into stiffness, the stiffness turns into to hardness and eventually uh, it becomes uh, rather uh, unpleasant. And uh, so there's an unpleasant feeling uh, that is connected uh, with uh, the experience. And so since the unpleasant quality comes into the foreground, the mind then decides to take this as the next object of observation. And then you observe its unpleasant character, and at this point you are doing what is known as Vedna Nupasana, and in particular Dukkha Vedna Nupasana Satipatthana. And then as this as the hardness gets or continues and the unpleasant feeling also continues for quite some time and you can't tolerate it anymore, well, the mind gets irritated. And the irritation grows more and more and eventually the mind turns to it and then you start contemplating it, you label it as aversion and then you observe it in a non-reactive manner and you try to know its nature. So this then is your mindful contemplation of the mind, jitta nupasana satipatthana. And then let's say all of this is happening already you know, quite some, you know, several days into you know, the retreat, let's say at least four or five you know, days or so. And you know, then you, know, you, you know, realize, my goodness, you know, you know, this hardness is really you know, quite you know, something. I wished it you know, would go away. And I, you know, you know, I wish you know, you know, some you know, more pleasant, you know, more agreeable, you know, desirable sensation would certainly you know, come up instead. And, so, and then also, after a while, you notice well the aversion is there, and then the aversion subsides to some extent, and then you notice that your mind becomes all sleepy. Now, um, after a while, you start paying attention to this, and then 
you might notice that some restlessness comes up in the mind. Again, you're mindful of this, and eventually, in the face of all these difficulties, namely desire for some desirable sensation, then the aversion, then the sleepiness, then the restlessness, then maybe some skeptical doubt arises. My goodness, what is the use of all of this? And so... Uh, and then yeah, you might certainly uh, reconsider yeah, your retreat here and certainly uh, maybe yeah, spending your time uh, uh, what you might think in a, a more beneficial manner. Now, after, as an experienced uh, meditator, sooner or later you will get the point uh, that uh, you are, you're just facing a so-called multiple hindrance attack. So you realize, you, know, you realize that the hindrances are you know, prevalent, and so, you know, you've noticed how they you know, arose one by one in in the course of you know, when you know, sitting, and certainly so, so you know, you know that the hindrances are there. You, know, you start you know, being more mindful of them, and eventually you know, they pass away. And this thing you know, could be considered you know, to be a form of you know, the contemplation of dhammas, dhammanupasnas, you know, satipatthana. And so, in the course of you know, one you know, single sitting, you know, these four you know, contemplations may come up, and they don't necessarily have to arise in this very particular order. So it could be you know, that. So, you know, let's say you start uh, with uh, you know, the observation, mindful con observ you know, observation or, or contemplation of uh, some physical object, and certainly then maybe you know, the aversion is there, and so you know, then it turns into chitta you nupasana. Know, now, Venerable Analayo, in his uh, book, Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Nibbana, points or makes some very useful observations with regard to the purpose and benefits of the contemplation of the body, which I would like to share with you. And so, so usually, when we think of our own body, especially when it's still young and aged and strong and healthy, then how do we relate to it? Do we you know, think of it uh, uh, highly or... Uh, yes, no? Do we you know, see it as rather attractive or you know, rather unattractive? As attractive. Um, yes, indeed. And so then... And this attraction to you know, the body then you know, takes certain various certain manifestations, yet namely you know, we very much look after you know, this body. And we might spend hours upon hours you know, doing aerobics to you know, get it into even better shape. And then we might be seriously concerned about our food so that our body remains healthy. And 
then we might take our body to some spa so that it remains rather fresh and young and and then yeah, we might certainly spend certain uh, long periods uh, in front of the mirror and certainly uh, then applying all sorts of funny substances, especially <laughs> to, yeah, to the face and other parts of uh, the body. And certainly uh, then all of this is in hopes of uh, you know, making it even more attractive and certainly uh, then hopefully uh, gaining the attraction of others. And so then having gained the attraction of some other human being, then we try to, or, and we then, the next step is one, we get attached to that other person. And also we have this other person getting attached to our body. What a funny development. <laughs> so anyways, these are the ways of the world. Now, venerable, and so, so since we see our own body as rather attractive, our understanding of our own body, what do you think, is rather balanced or not? Hmm? Is it really all that realistic, venerable and Yani? You don't think so. So uh, then, you know, to you know, explain you know, further, when we take a closer look at this body as part of our contemplation of the body, we make all sorts of discoveries. Namely, then the nasal fluid coming out of our nostrils is all that attractive or not. <laughs> Not necessarily. And so then, let's say, if we our nose is a little bit congested, and then we have this funny stuff in, gluey stuff in the mouth, and then do we really want to swallow this? <laughs> Not really. And then, is there anything really attractive about you know, the body perspiring and then smelling two meters off? <laughs> and so there's quite a number of things. That, and then, leave your fingernails untrimmed for, let's say, one month, and then look at them again. And so, is that really all that great? And so maybe not. Uh, or and then you know, just another thing comes to my mind. <laughs> and consider, consider not brushing your teeth for a week or two, and suddenly so you will have no more friends. <laughs> and so. so and, you know, the foul you know, the smell coming from your mouth you know, without rinsing it and you know, brushing your teeth, you know, well, you know, this is not you know, neither attractive to your friends nor you know, to you know, yourself. And you know, so, to be really fair, 
the body isn't, in some ways it is attractive, but certainly in many other ways, where is certainly that great attraction? And once I read a sentence somewhere in, a, I think it was a Dhamma magazine from Malaysia, where it certainly said, well, beauty is only skin deep. And to make the point, yeah, there was yeah, well the picture of you know the skin, the skin of the one part of the body, and then with a cut, and then showing the inner parts of you know, the flesh, the flesh and sinews and whatnot, and so that really made the point yeah, that certainly the beauty is only you know, on the very surface with the skin and if you go a little bit deeper yeah, then <coughs> there's not much beauty yeah, left yeah, there. So the purpose, one of you know, the purposes of you know, contemplating the nature of you know, the body is you know, to bring you know, the unattractive aspects of the body to the foreground of one's attention and you know, thereby balancing out our uh, uh, or the attractive aspects that previously you know, we had emphasized you know, so much. Now, the Buddha likes to take this even a step further and suddenly he gives the following description of the human body. And I'm quoting directly from the first volume, section 500 from the Majjhima Nikaya, and the quote is as follows. Namely, now... Now, this body made up of material form, consisting of the four great elements procreated by a mother and a father and built up out of boiled rice and porridge, is subject to impermanence, to being worn and rubbed away, to dissolution and disintegration. It should be regarded as impermanent, as suffering, as a disease, as a tumor, as a dart, as a calamity, as an affliction, as alien, as disintegrating, as void, as not-self. When one regards this body of ours thus, one abandons desire for the body, affection for the body, subservience to the body. So in other words, the body is just a product of certain conditions and this is all. And so, as we will see later on in our discussion here of the mindful contemplation of the body, there tends to be a tremendous amount of identification with the body. So we see it as me. And this is what makes, makes me up. And this is, well, questionable at least. Now, there's also a great deal of infatuation with our own body. And so 
you know, we are highly concerned with it. You know, we you know, want it you know, to you know, be in good certain shape, not to have any, you know, not to be overweight, and certain you know, the muscles well you know, build, and certain you know, then of a nice certain you know, uh, complexion, and certain you know, so on and so forth. And certainly, this certainly infatuation with our own body and certainly holding it in great esteem and certainly thinking of it really highly, this takes us away from the meditation practice and in particular from the development of concentration. So, the essential infatuation uh, with one's body leads to um, essential uh, distractions. And mindfulness of uh, the body, Kayanubhasana Satipatthana, as is uh, said in the uh, third volume of the Majjhima Nikaya, section 96, uh, then uh, will lead easily to the development of deep concentration. So one of the benefits of uh, the practice of Gayanubhasana Satipatthana is the development of deep concentration. Now, all of you have spent quite a number of days, quite a number of hours carefully dissecting what is occurring in this body and mind. And so, so when doing this, what was the result of this exercise? Performing a careful analysis of what is known as a being. Yes, Peter? Everything is changing all the time. But did you really see this during the very first few days of the retreat? Not really. So, then, another purpose is needed. Why do we undertake this analysis to see the universal characteristics that happen still later. Or seeing specific, oh sorry, I didn't hear properly. Uh, to see specific characteristics, yes, okay, this is correct. And uh, no, what else? Nama Rupa. So seeing Nama Rupa, okay, and what's the implication here? What is the implication of this? Seeing mentality and materiality. And cause and effect, that happens later, yes, based on this. Yes, indeed, the distinction between the two, that's also correct. Any other, no, Buckley? Comprehend suffering. Uh, comprehend suffering. Yeah. Oh, well, then, so, no, also, to some extent, it's there, but uh, later on, it becomes more predominant. Well, 
You've been doing this all the time. <laughs> so, very simple you know, to refute certainly the you know, notion of a self. The, you know, the, you know, the wrong view, utter deity, you know, the wrongful belief in the existence of a self. And so, and so you know, when we start out with our meditation practice for the most part, you know, then we still have you know, this you know, deeply embedded you know, idea you know, that a being exists, some self, some ego is there, some uh, individual is certainly there. And so you know, there's a certain name you know, to it even. And so, uh, and then when we keep uh, you know, carefully observing what's happening in this uh, body and mind, you know, then you know, we realize you know, that in the end there are just these physical and mental formations arising. And what about the self? There is no self, at least on occasion. And so it helps to you know, refute certainly the view of the existence of a self. Now, here comes an, an interesting question. Can one go through all of the insight knowledges by contemplating only bodily formations? Would this be possible? Can one gain the Dhamma by doing only Kaya Nupasana Satipatthana? Uh, is correct. And so, just if one were, just so theoretically, if one were to choose to stick to just the contemplation of the body, of bodily, various bodily formations, uh, it will lead you, you know, from the very first insight knowledge until the very last one. And so, so this reveals you know, the you know, potential of you know, this contemplation of uh, the body. And later on, you know, there will be and more you know, to be you know, said about this. So it will help you, you know, to understand um, well you know, the at least um, well <laughs> literally well if we're really precise then you know, maybe Oh, maybe some contemplation of the mind is necessary, especially you know, to, you know, to make the distinction between mind and matter. So you know, a little bit of uh, you know, mind needs to be there, to be you know, really precise. And so, you know, then once one has distinguished uh, the mind and matter, you know, then based on this, an understanding of cause and effect certainly will arise, and with this certainly then also the three universal characteristics of anicca, dukkha, and anatta will be understood, and certainly so many other things. Now, another aspect of the contemplation of the body is certainly the following. So you sit, so to give you a negative example first, you sit in meditation, you observe the body, and then there's some, well, some activity going on outside, and so an activity that goes along with various sounds, and then maybe also some movements, and many people are involved, etc., etc. And so, you know, then you sit there, you know, even with eyes closed, but certainly you know, your you know, ears are you know, with you know, the hearing process. 
and so you know, then as the activity outside you know, continues for you know, the entire you know, hour, well, you're no longer you know, with uh, the body. And suddenly then hearing various certain sounds, then you start certainly speculating about what certainly might be going on out there. And certainly then you might also get certainly angry about certainly these activities. All of those people out there, don't they have any consideration for, for us here as certain meditators and so on. Now, um, by the end of you know, the sitting, you know, your concentration will be pretty much gone. And certainly then also you, well, you might certainly end up rather distracted. And what this contemplation of the body does is it helps to bring our mind that certainly tends to or that likes to go to external phenomena to bring it back to the same so to speak. Now, in the you know, 35th uh, collection of discourses from you know, the Samyutta Nikaya, you know, the 247th you know, discourse, we find a beautiful you know, illustration for you know, this particular you know, situation, namely the case of six animals. Six different, of different kinds, different species, are all tied to one strong post. And so there's a snake, there's a crocodile, there's a bird, there's a dog, there's a jackal, and there's a monkey. And so the snake will think, well, let me enter an ant hill, and it will pull in a particular direction. And then the crocodile will think, let me enter water, and so with this it pulls in a different direction. And then the bird, thinking, let me fly up into the sky, then pulls upwards. And your dog, thinking, let me enter the village, will then pull into in a different direction, and the jackal, you know, being fond of, you know, you know, well, um, uh, you know, well, corpses, you know, then you know, will be drawn you know, to you know, the charnel ground, and certainly you know, the monkey you know, will be drawn to what? To a forest. There you go. So each of these certain you know, animals will pull in in a different certain you know, way, and certainly you know, then. You know, this certainly means quite a lot of activity at certain you know, the pole. And as human beings, at times we're not certain you know, much different from those six animals. And in particular, to, you know, when, you know, to give you another example, if we were you know, to you know, walk down a busy, busy street in downtown Manhattan, then uh, our six sense stores would be bombarded by all sorts of sense impressions. There will be s many, many seeing impressions, there will be many, many hearing impressions, and certainly then many smelling impressions, and so on and so forth. And with this, your mind will be very calm or not, for the most part. 
uh, mostly not. So your mind gets pulled in this direction, to this one sense door, you know, to this eye door, and the next moment to the hear, you know, ear door, and then next moment there's some predominant smell, you know, then with this it goes to, it goes to the nose door, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, to now, then handle this particular you know, situation, the Buddha recommends the contemplation of the body as a way of tying down you know, the mind. So if ever you find in your you know, meditation practice that your mind is too much you know, oriented you know, towards certain external observation of external formations, you know, then you know, you know, remember you know, this contemplation of you know, the body. And so, you know, this then you know, will make a big you know, difference. There are um, two, at least two phases in the practice were at first well, mindfulness tends to be panoramic, and with this, also our attention oftentimes goes to external objects, so external sight, sounds, and so on. And this, the next phase in the practice is when, well, more more internal formations become more predominant. And it is in this kind of a situation that keeping the one's attention, especially on in turn on bodily formations, might help to develop our practice. Now, in the hundred and nineteenth discourse of the Majjhima Nikaya. The middle length Vatna discourses, section 22nd to or 20, 22 to 31, the Buddha says that this mindfulness of the body acts as a crucial factor for withstanding Mara. And Mara is certainly given as a, or is certainly the personification of the mental defilements. And uh, there is uh, a group of teachings, or, or you know, these uh, you know, Maras are said to be the ten armies of Vatna Mara. And the Venerable Saito Pandita, Bhimamsa, when he, he conducted the three month retreat at IMS in 1984, he extensively discoursed on these five, or on these ten armies of Vatna Mara. So they are, to mention them, the first one, sense pleasure, the second one, dissatisfaction, the third one is hunger and thirst, the fourth one is craving, then number five, we have sloth and torpor, number six is fear, number seven is doubt, and then number eight is conceit and ingratitude, and number eight, number nine is gain, praise, honor, and certain undeserved fame, and certain as number ten, we have self-exaltation and disparaging others. Now, among these ten armies of Mara, uh, is there anyone, any, any single one that you've never experienced in your life? Is there or is there not ton? Uh, they're all there. 
Yeah, right? So then different ones at different times. So, mm, now, this is certainly one you know, further you know, benefit of or purpose of you know, the practice. Now, the texts speak of you know, the same you know, discourse, namely the Kaya Gatta you know, Sati Sutta, um, namely discourse number 119. You know, speaks in you know, section 36 or paragraph you know, 36 of 10 benefits of you know, the contemplation of the body. And some of you know, these you know, benefits are quite you know, interesting. So the first uh, among the first ones is you know, that its uh, contemplation of you know, the body helps you know, to overcome you know, fear and dread. It also helps to overcome covetousness and uh, you know, discontent, so desire and you know, discontent. And you know, then um, it is you know, also you know, as you know, the fourth benefit. Said to well help with the jhanas, and certainly since certainly this is of some interest to some of you, allow me to quote exactly, namely, one obtains at will without trouble or difficulty the four jhanas that constitute the higher mind and provide a pleasant abiding here and now. So, um, the mindfulness practice you know, that uh, um, mindfulness you know, of you know, the body may be you know, conducted in a way you know, that uh, you know, the jhanas arise. This is one interpretation. And the second interpretation is that a person who has done you know, extensive you know, practice of you know, mindful contemplation of the body and who, you know, for instance, has certainly gained certain you know, the Dhamma or has gained some you know, satisfactory level in you know, one's certain you know, meditation practice and then switches to you know, the jhana practice will easily obtain without any difficulty and trouble you know, will attain you know, the jhanas. The usual approach in the Mahasi tradition of meditation is to request meditators first to do intensive satipatthana practice and then having gained mastery in this or some skills in this, then you know, then the you know, option comes, whoever likes to, could certainly then do you know, samatha you know, practice. And for a person who is you know, already very or quite skilled you know, in you know, satipatthana you know, meditation, doing the jhanas is kind of like a piece of cake. Because your mind is already you know, quite uh, you know, or you know, highly, you know, highly uh, purified, and certain intuitive wisdom is there, and a very deep understanding of you know, physical and mental formations that you know, are there. Understanding of the Dhamma is there, and certain you know, you know, the jhanas are not that you know, uh, uh, difficult to uh, obtain. Now, 
in our you know, list of four, in that list, same list of ten you know, benefits of uh, you know, the you know, contemplation of you know, the body, other points are mentioned such as you know the arising of uh, you know, well you know the you know, divine ear and certainly you know, then the arising of you know, the divine eye and uh, you know, someone's ability you know, to recall past existences and and all of these you know, things so these are you know, uh, psychic you know, powers and then the very last you know, benefit is you know, given as you know, the arising of in directed knowledge which enters upon and abides in you know, the what was it you know, the the liberation of you know, the mind and liberation of you know, wisdom by attaining that taintless state through the destruction of you know, the taints. And so, you know, this is a reference to what? Mm -hmm. It's a reference to Nibbana and uh, as experienced by an Arahant. So, you know, a total destruction of the taints is uh, not yet achieved by a stream enter, but only you know, by an Arahant. So, please do notice you know, the words. Uh, you know, the arising of you know, in, you know, direct knowledge and then you know, gaining you know, the liberation of you know, the you know, uh, of the mind and you know, through you know, wisdom. So the wisdom aspect is there. And so, you know, so you know, the practice and contemplation of the body you know, can lead us all the way you know, to uh, a destruction of all defilements. And it uh, could also you know, serve for contemplation of the body, could also serve as you know, the you know, foundation for a further you know, contemplation of feelings as well as a further contemplation of, uh, you know, the, of mental phenomena. Now, in the Angutra, in the first volume of the Angutra you know, Nikaya, you know, there is a statement you know, that you know, well, you know, describes the nature of this contemplation of you know, the body. And it says, and the Buddha says, one thing, O monks, or nuns, and meditators, developed and repeatedly practiced leads to you know, the attainment of wisdom. It is the contemplation on the body, Kaya Nupasana Satipatthana. Now, let us certainly move on and discuss or take a closer look at certain mindfulness of postures. And so we're becoming more specific. Now, the instructions given in the Satipatthana Sutta for this are rather tears. And they are, again, when walking, one knows I am walking. When standing, one knows I'm standing. When sitting, one knows I'm sitting. When lying down, no one knows I'm lying down. Or one knows accordingly however one's body is disposed. 
and certainly this is certainly using the translation by Venerable Analayon. Now, when we take a closer look at certainly these four postures, or first of all, we notice, well, four postures are being mentioned classically. So the walking posture, then the standing posture, then the sitting posture, and then the lying posture. And these four postures are arranged by a way of what? Well, activity, there you go, by way of, well, first more activity and then gradually later on less physical activity. So from more active to more passive. Now, in the Mahasi tradition of Satipatthana meditation, the last posture, namely lying, lying meditation, is tremendously encouraged or not? <laughs> not at all. And so, especially not for beginning meditators with a very clear reason, namely for those who are still whose mind is still untrained. The obvious danger is when doing much lying meditation that it turns into a sleeping meditation. And we've come here to the forest refuge to do what? <laughs> sleeping meditation or active meditation. So we're here to practice mostly sitting and walking and on occasion maybe standing meditation as the need might be to overwhelm, to overcome sleepiness or simply as part of our walking. Now, there, from a meditator's point of view, there is a, a practical problem when going from or changing from one posture to the other. What is the problem? Who knows? Yes, Peter? Yes, it's absolutely correct. It is oftentimes during these transitions that somehow or other the mind loses hold of the object and it goes off into thinking and whatever other states. And so it happens from from one you know coarser posture, so from walking to standing, from standing to sitting, from sitting to lying down. And it might, and not just might, it oftentimes also happens within the walking meditation itself, namely you know, the transition from the ending of the lifting process to you know, the beginning of the forward movement. So just in between there. And then you know, between the end of you know, the forward movement and the uh, beginning of the lowering and placing of uh, uh, the foot. So 
do keep an eye on you know, this and whenever first of all check whether you know, this uh, statement made uh, is correct or not whether it applies or conforms with your uh, experience and uh, if so you know, then be more attentive in particular you know, during those certain uh, transition periods now once we've had a good sitting session and our mindfulness has come along very nicely, concentration is also you know, strengthening and our wisdom you know, deepens, then we you know, then move into you know, the next you know, posture and do we want to lose, of, lose our mindfulness, concentration and wisdom or not? Obviously not. And so, so in order to maintain, at least maintain, what has been uh, achieved uh, through you know, hard work, we need to you know, pay attention you know, you know, in a continuous manner. If not, if, our, if we are not mindful, the quality of our mindfulness will drop off, the continuity will, you know, will go, and the you know, wandering mind you know, instead you know, will uh, proliferate. Now, there is certain, another you know, point you know, that certainly might be of very practical you know, use for you know, all of you, namely, there are times in our practice you know, when our you know, concentration is somewhat weak, and certainly, you know, generally it is certainly stated you know, that so, you know, longer sittings might help you know, to develop concentration and in particular staying with one predominant object for a longer period of time. Now uh, there are there may be other times in your practice when your effort is somewhat weak then what could you do? Which posture would be suitable? More suitable? Walking. walking. There you go. And so you know, the walking meditation helps to build not only you know, the effort, but it also helps to you know, build durable concentration according to you know, the Nachankama Sutta. So you can use you know, the postures in a very strategic manner to you know, balance your practice or help support your own practice. Or if you've done a long sitting and your body is all stiff, then obviously it would be good to do a walking session, maybe first labeling us right step, left step, right step, left step, when we observe just the right foot or right leg moving and left leg moving as a way of helping to get over the bodily tension. Now, rather interesting is certainly the correlation between our predominant mental state and certainly the posture that certainly then, uh, or the posture that the body assumes. And have you noticed anything you know, specific there or in this regard? Correlation between the mind, predominant mind state, and uh, and the posture. 
Pardon me, when? Yes, the, your body slumps when you're sleepy is absolutely correct. And any other example? Let's see, when pride and conceit has arisen, then what's your body like? Stiff, yes. And so extremely, there you go, extremely overly upright. And for some people, it's kind of like, you know, the nose is going upward. And so then let's take another case. Let's say sadness has arisen in the mind. How would the probable sitting posture look like? There you go. And so, you know, the body, what does it do? It slumps a little bit, and so it's kind of in a, uh, a very uh, inactive posture or, or position. And so, you know, when we you know, when we stand, you know, and sadness so, you know, is certainly so, you know, the overwhelming you know, mental state, you know, this will you know, also show in you know, an up in a posture, standing posture that is not really you know, fully upright. So we're kind of and we're head down, oftentimes. Now this correlation between your you know, posture and the predominant mental state may be extremely useful. Namely, let us say you find you know, that your mind uh, is overcome you know, or, or overwhelmed by fear. And as one, you know, first of all, you're mindful of this, of the you know, mental state of fear. And so, secondly, you could, in order to work with the fear and to help to overcome it, you could choose, deliberately choose, to assume a very upright certain posture. So a posture of fearlessness. And this sometimes may do the trick and may drive your state of fear away. Or, um, I forgot to you know, mention you know, one you know, point. Let's say um, a meditator has had a really difficult you know, sit, and you know, then maybe on top of this there were some you know, disturbances in the hall. Maybe uh, you know, there's, uh, but not. Uh, you know, I'm not referring to you, know, you personally. Uh, let's just assume, you know, for the sake of the you know, example, uh, one meditator is snoring. And not just you know, you know, at low volume, but really loudly. And there's no need to demonstrate this. And uh, so then the sitting is over, and our meditator is totally upset. And certainly quite certain, you know, the mind is certainly quite agitated. And then he or she you know, you know, does the walking meditation. What does this walking meditation is likely to look like? Stomping meditation. <laughs> ah, stomping meditation. So by now you should be you know, seeing the correlation here between various mental states and our posture and the detail or the manifestations in the posture. 
Now, Venerable Analayot in his Satna book, Satipatthana, comes up with an interesting point. Namely, he says that knowing one's Satna postures is called proprioception, namely the ability to sense the position, the location, and movement of the body and its parts. And this is certainly some important aspect. And we do it, uh, uh, we can you know, do this if we uh, wish to. Now, when on, on occasion, when we, after sitting, when we walk you know, from you know, the um, from the meditation hall over you know, to you know, the dining hall for you know, the next you know, meal, you know, then and we're supposed to you know, do mindful you know, walking, so to be mindful of you know, the walking you know, posture, you know, then you know, we might find you know, that you know, the mind is no longer in the present moment, but it's already uh, occupied with the buffet and in particular what is on it. And with this, are you still practicing mindful contemplation of postures? No more. And with this, your mind is ahead of what actually is happening. It's not anchored in the body anymore. And so as human beings, we have this unfortunate tendency to get carried away by a great variety of thoughts and ideas while walking or maybe while standing and so on. And so ideally, when we walk, we're totally focused on our walking. When we stand, we are totally focused on standing. When we sit, we're totally focused on this and certainly the sensations occurring in the body. Now, maybe it has a last one or two points. In the first volume of the Majjhima Nikaya, section 21, it says that mindfulness of postures then may also help to overcome fear. And in this regard, let me quote from that particular passage. And why, and certainly the Buddha is certainly speaking. And while I'll dwell, I dwelt there, namely in an orchard, certainly shrines and woodland shrines and tree shrines, a wild animal would come up to me, or a peacock would knock off a branch, or you know, the wind would rustle you know, the leaves. I thought, what now if this is fear and dread coming? I thought, why do I dwell always expecting fears and uh, fear and dread? What if I subdue that fear and dread 
while keeping the same posture that I'm in when it comes upon me. So, namely, when walking, to be mindful of the fear while walking, to continue with the walking, and then when standing, and certain fear has come up, to continue with the standing until the fear has been subdued, and so on, and so forth. So, using the contemplation of postures as a way to overcome fear. Now, let me conclude today's Dhamma talk with Dhamma part of verse 293, which gives you the fullest potential of the contemplation of the body, namely, in those who always make a good effort in meditating on the body, who do not do what should not be done, but always do what should be done, who are also mindful and endowed with clear comprehension, moral intoxicants, or in other words, you know, the taints, you know, come to an end. May this happen um, during either this retreat or some future retreat in this very existence, if not that, in some existence in the near future. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.